Welcome to the weekend edition of Uptempo Sports 24-7 with your host, Coach P. Thank you for tuning in today. Just want to say, glad to be back. Been off for a few days. As you can hear, my voice is a little raspy. Um, recovering from a little sinus congestion, but want to get you caught up with what's been going on in the world of sports and give you a review of what also happened in the world of sports while we were away. So without further ado, let's start with this opening and let's talk about Tiger Woods. Yes, Tiger is doing much better than the last time that we were on the air. He's been moved to a different facility and he's recovering very well. And I think that we need to understand that life is bigger than sports sometimes because I think we all get caught up and I know I find myself doing this as well, just so overwhelmed with the things that are going on in sports that sometimes we don't stop to realize or don't stop to appreciate and understand that these athletes that we admire go through real life issues just like we do. And so for the people who Tiger competes against, in his profession of golf, for them to acknowledge Tiger while he is recovering from his accident, to me, they all need to be saluted. From Roy McElroy, Patrick Reed, one of Tiger's best, fin- best friends, Justin Thomas, one of his arch rivals, Phil Mickelson, Brian D. Chambeau, all these golfers on Sunday in the final round showed up in Tiger's traditional red and black. The colors that he wears when he is on the prowl on that final Sunday when he goes to try to capture a championship in honor of Tiger, all his competitors dressed in his red and black colors that he garners for championship Sunday. I think that was very appropriate. I think that it was an honorable thing to do. And I think that they should be applauded for what they did. And from what we heard from Tiger was that he couldn't, he could not have appreciated it more. And, and that's when you have a level of respect that you just cannot, you can't bottle when you know that you are great. And Tiger is one of the greatest golfers that we've ever seen. And your competitors also understand your greatness. Not just your greatness being in competition, but the greatness and the changes that you brought to the sport itself. 
because before Tiger, there weren't million dollar paydays. There weren't more than million dollar paydays. Tiger bought millions of dollars to the pockets of his competitors because of his television capabilities to sell the game. We know golf has been around forever, but Tiger took it to another level, a level that we had never seen. And with that, the ratings went up. And when ratings goes up in anything, the money goes. Follow follow the money. And that's what you had to do with golf. When Tiger became a professional, all you had to do was look at the ratings and then you could follow the money. And that's why his competitors can be, at this moment, his greatest allies because they know what Tiger means to the sport and what he has done for them, not just in regards to what television does in the viewership, but economically what Tiger brought to the game, not just for his competitors but for the sport itself and so like I said at the end of the day I can appreciate and respect what these men did and I know of all the people who appreciated the most it was Tiger Woods and his family we just wish Tiger a speedy recovery and just hope that if nothing else if he can't return to the game that he loves to play professionally, that at least he'll be able to play it in a realm with his son or his daughter, if he so chooses. But we would hope that Tiger will be able to be back on the golf circuit at some time in the future. The most important thing is a speedy recovery and a return to health and strength is what we hope to see from Tiger Woods. We're going to move now to college basketball. So we need to get an opportunity to talk about what happened last weekend with North Carolina. The Tar Heels found themselves down 16 points in the first half to Florida State, only to rally back from that 16-point deficit and get a big win that they needed to propel them possibly to the field of the NCAA tournament. The only problem is, is that year this year, North Carolina has been Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde in regards to their play. One, One week they're up, one week they're down. And I say that from perspective of, and we've talked about this with all the teams this year in college basketball, due to the pandemic, the usual practice sessions that coaches would have for their players was not available. We've had many games having to be postponed due to COVID protocols. We've had players that have not been able to play due to COVID. Due to COVID protocols, excuse me, folks, 
the the thing that is been puzzling for me with North Carolina is that we know about their front line in regards to their big men. It's the guard play that has been up and down and inconsistent this year. And part of that is, again, because of the practice time and because they are fielding a young backcourt. They have three freshmen that they have relied on, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love are the two point guards that they have been utilizing. Caleb Love, I told you a few weeks ago that he has gotten better, and with his ability to now understand the game, he has pushed R.J. Davis to the bench, and he is now running. R.J. Davis has been running with the second team. But with that being said, Caleb Love has still been up and down. And so has the direction of this North Carolina basketball team. So Carolina gets a big win on Saturday at home against Florida State. And then they turn back around on Monday and lose on the road to Syracuse. This is not one of Jim Beheim's best teams. But his son, Buddy Beheim, scored his 1,001 point as I think he finished the game with 27 points as Syracuse after being down 11 to 4, turned, flipped the switch, and then proceeded to run North Carolina out the gym. Now, Carolina was able to cut the lead in the second half towards the end to as a minimum of eight points, but that just wasn't enough. And, and there it goes again, talking about the inconsistent play of North Carolina. Speaking of inconsistent play, let's talk about the Duke Blue Devils. At one point, they were on a five-game winning streak. And then they lost over the weekend to Louisville on Saturday. Turn back around on Monday, they lose to Georgia Tech in overtime. It's amazing what what a reputation will do for you. Because in my opinion, the way Duke has looked all season long, they should not be a team that's on anybody's bubble to get into the NCAA tournament. They have been even more inconsistent than North Carolina. Carolina at least has signature wins on their resume, and they have a better record. This has been a topsy-turvy season for Coach This particular season. And so now we're trying to figure out if the NCAA is going to find some way to get the Blue Devils into this tournament. It makes no sense that Duke has an opportunity to get into the NCAA tournament. With the way they've played, they just lost two in a row after winning five straight. They lost two in a row. And now the presumption is is that if they can go out and beat Carolina on Saturday night, then they'll have a chance to possibly sneak back in. It's not as if Carolina's a ranked team this year. Remember, Carolina was coming off of a horrible season last year. And 
they would not have made the tournament last year, but no one made the tournament due to the tournament being shut down because of COVID. But Duke has not played well. They've had problems within their team chemistry this year. Remember Jalen Johnson left because of some internal issues and he decided that it was best for him to sit out the rest of the year so that he can concentrate on getting to the draft. Duke has played better because it seems like they've had more chemistry since he left. But you can't take that type of a talent out of a lineup and say that they are a better team. I think they've had a better flow. I don't think that they are a better team because he's not there. They've had a better flow. And so now we'll have to see what happens as, again, we'll see if Duke will find a way to get into this tournament. I personally believe that they would have to win at least two games, if not get to the finals of the ACC championship to get an at large bid or the last or that 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 at last four in opportunity. Coach K has to be thinking to himself that this team really doesn't deserve to be there. Now I don't know if he'll come out publicly and say that, but it's no way in the world that you can tell me that if Duke wins the game tonight against North Carolina, that that puts them back on the line for the last four in. They have not played well. They've been up and down. And this is not one of Coach K's better teams. But again, he's been fighting the problem just like Kansas and Carolina and especially Kentucky. You know, the teams that you think will always be at the top of the conferences or the top of the leagues when we start talking about collegiate basketball he's been with a team that has been erratic and as much as we know ratings are based on reputation and what teams do I don't think anybody is going to sit here and say that Duke not getting into the tournament this year is going to be a decline in the ratings. Again, Duke is not one of the top tier teams this year. So I don't think they them making the tournament is going to be a make or break for the NCAA and for them to try to convince us that Duke is a team that's worthy of getting into the tournament. It's asinine. It's the same way you could sit and say how Michigan State has stormed back after a rocky first part of their season. How Coach Tom Izzo always finds a way to have this team ready in March and the way they play down the stretch. But then they've lost consecutive games down the stretch. They lost to a Maryland team that has played well um, and will definitely find a way to get a bid in for the NCAA tournament this year. They lost to them and then they went to Michigan and got their hearts ripped out by the Wolverines who captured the Big Ten Championship 
for the regular season. So if you want to talk about reputations, we know what Coach Tom Izzo has done. He's a Hall of Famer. He is one of the top collegiate coaches in the country. So let's not sit and make it seem like that Coach K is the only one that has a reputation here that has to be protected. Coach Izzo has a reputation as well. And his team has not been full scale because of COVID protocols and injuries. They have not been the team that he imagined they would be in this season. So why should we give Duke a pass if we're not giving someone like Coach Izzo in Michigan State a pass? In my opinion, neither one of those teams should make the NCAA. And it's no fault of their own. It's just that they just have not played well. And if it wasn't for Carolina's record and some of the teams that they beat, I don't even I wouldn't even be in support of them making a tournament. And this is the team that I root for. But again, like I said, you have to have the best teams in a tournament. Don't just put a team in a tournament because of its history, its legacy, its reputation. Put the best teams in a tournament that fans would want to see based on what they've done this season. Not based on their past practice, their legacy. Let's put them in a tournament based on, as they say, what have you done for me lately? What they have done now. Not what they've done in the past or what we project them that they could possibly do. Because in my opinion, at this particular point, if you have not turned the light switch on completely to flip it for you to do anything differently than what you've been doing for the majority of this season... What makes you think that it's going to happen in the NCAA tournament? I just don't believe it. Now, a team that you better watch out for in the, for the NCAA tournament who started off hot and has, over the last few games, has not played up to par is the Virginia Cavaliers. Now, you know, it looked like at first that Virginia was going to be one of the more dominant teams in the ACC along with Florida State. And then we've seen Virginia over the last three or four games stump their toe. But I think the thing that the Virginia is going to have to get back to is what Coach Tony Bennett always emphasized and what has been their signature since he's been there, and that is the defense. We know that they have issues with scoring, but they've never had an issue in stopping their opponent from scoring. And that seems to be the problem right now is that over the last four games, they've had an issue in stopping their opponent. And that has been the Achilles heel for a couple of these losses that they have had down the stretch. So Virginia's going to have to get back to their bread and butter, which is their defense in order for them to be ready for the NCAA tournament. I think Florida State as a team that you're going to have to watch out for in the tournament. You know, we already know about the Baylors. We know about, of course, Gonzaga. But someone like a Florida State, where Coach Leonard Hamilton just got a contract extension and is well-deserved. Leonard Hamilton is one of the best collegiate coaches, to me, that is underrated. It's not as if we don't know about him. It's not as if he has not been doing this for, for some time now. But I just think when you mention the great coaches in college basketball, as we currently stand, we always reach for and can say, of course, Coach K, Coach Roy Williams, 
Coach Calipari at Kentucky. Um, we can always reach for those names. Coach Tom Izzo, Coach Jim Beheim. We can always reach for those names. But we need to start putting some respect on the name of Leonard Hamilton because Leonard, ha- Leonard Hamilton is one of the best coaches in college basketball and is well-deserving of being a Hall of Famer in regards to collegiate basketball. That's why he just got a contract extension. And not only has Leonard Hamilton been a great coach, he has been a trailblazer for black coaches, for black men in the collegiate field. And so that should not go unnoticed as well. These are the things that we need to take a look at. We just ended Black History Month, so that's the reason why I'm I'm making this statement about Coach Leonard Hamilton. He'll tell you himself that he doesn't want all the fame and accolades. He just is in it to see young men grow and, and fulfill their dreams, whether it's through basketball or off the court. But he needs to have those accolades stowed upon him that we do for these other college coaches that also have done their share of good deeds on the collegiate level with players. Leonard Hamilton is one of those coaches that deserves to be recognized, and that's what we're doing here on Uptempo Sports 24-7. So we have a big showdown, we told you, on Tobacco Road tonight between North Carolina and Duke. I think even if Carolina loses this game, they'll be in the tournament. They'll probably be a 10th seed. I don't look for them to do very much because, again, the guard play has been inconsistent. I just don't like the idea of the tournament committee trying to find a way for Coach K and Duke to get in. They're not deserving of getting into this tournament. They have not been consistent all year long, and they don't deserve to be in. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I I root for Carolina. I respect the hell out of Coach K. I might not root for Duke, but I know greatness in a coach when I see it. And Coach K has been one of the greatest collegiate coaches that we've ever seen. So I know how great Coach K is and what he's done as a developer of talent at Duke. That doesn't mean that I have to co-sign and say that they need to be in a tournament because they don't. Just like Carolina was really bad last year, and I knew they were really bad last year. I thought this year was going to be different for them. But again, with COVID and everything being the way that it is, everybody's had to make adjustments. And with the young players that Coach Roy Williams has had, he's had to make a number of adjustments. So that's been an issue. I think they played way better than they did last year. The expectations this year were a little bit higher. Roy's probably going to need one more one more season to get his recruiting class back to where he wanted it to be. I don't think anybody other than the seniors should be leaving. No one should be leaving Carolina to think about going pro. Everybody should be staying except for those who are graduating. Um, Mr. Sharp, the power forward slash center is a beast. I think he needs one more year. Now, Do I think that he may leave? Yeah, because if they start projecting him at the end of the year like they've been doing early on as possibly being a first-round draft pick, you know, as they always say, money talks. 
So there's a possibility that he will leave. The guards need to stay. Caleb Love is not in a position where he should be thinking about leaving. Neither is R.J. Davis. Those players need to stay and refine their game. And if they can stay and refine their game, then that will help with the recruiting process next year in regards to giving Carolina a formidable team for the fall for 2021. But we'll see what happens. Let's stay with college just a little bit longer. And let's talk about who we've been talking about all year long as a potential number one pick in the NBA draft and who I think will be the freshman of the year and maybe even possibly get votes for the player of the year. Let's go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, where we talk about Kay Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. So let's not get it confused. I wasn't saying Oklahoma in regards to the University of Oklahoma. I was saying going to Oklahoma in regards to talking about Kay Cunningham. Now, we had OK State and Oklahoma playing in the Bedlam game last weekend. It went to overtime. Kay Cunningham dropped 40. I'm going to say this again. For those of you who have not seen this young man play, you have missed out on a treat. Kay Cunningham is that guy. He will, in my opinion, be the number one player taken in this upcoming NBA draft. He is 6'8". He is a legitimate point guard. I think that he's going to have to work on his jump shot a little bit, but he has a jump shot. So let's, let's, not, let's not put him in a category of saying that he won't shoot like Ben Simmons or can't shoot. It's just that he needs to increase his distance on his shot in regards to you know being able to step out to the three-point line a little bit more with consistency but his leadership as a freshman his direction of how he puts people in place his court vision his maturity are things that you just cannot grade out for a player like this as a freshman he is doing things that freshmen usually struggle with and the main thing is is that that he's been consistent all season long in regards to his leadership that's the thing that i find to be the most refreshing thing about this young man that his demeanor appears not to change he can go in a game and maybe not score in the first half as we saw last weekend when they played, I'm sorry, during the week when they replayed Oklahoma this past week and they beat Oklahoma again. First half, Kay Cunningham didn't score. But that didn't stop him from dishing out six assists. That didn't stop him from blocking shots. That didn't stop, stop excuse me, that didn't stop him from diving on the floor. You're talking about a kid that potentially could be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He's hustling where he's diving on the floor. He's hustling where he's taking charges. He's doing the little things that most kids that when you start putting all these accolades on their shoulder or on their plate, they tend not to do the gritty things that makes them a complimentary and overall complete basketball player. Kay Cunningham is still doing those things. 
If I'm not mistaken, I think he finished up with at least 14 points in this game. He hit some big free throws down the stretch of this game. And he hit a couple of tough shots towards the end because this game also went into overtime. So for those of you who want to talk about the G League, the Ignite, and Jalen Green and a couple of those young guys who left straight out of high school and went into the G League that they could be lottery picks. There is no question who the number one player will be in this upcoming draft by most people who watch college basketball and who are scouts in the NBA. They will tell you that Kay Cunningham more than likely will be the number one pick And if he's not number one, he will definitely be number two. He won't go past the second pick. I can guarantee you that. I'm willing to bet he will be the number one pick, but he won't drop past number two. I can guarantee you that. That young man has all the tools to be an NBA all-star for years to come. It's going to be a pleasure to watch him on the next level. So we're getting revved up getting ready for college basketball. We told you about Michigan and the way they've played. We told you that they did capture the Big Ten regular season championship. Jawan Howard has done a phenomenal job with that or with that university, his alma mater, and getting them back on the map. They have been playing well down the stretch. Now, they did take a big loss to Illinois who was out without some of their key ball players and probably their best ball, best ball player. But I just think the way Michigan has played, they've had a stretch of playing Ohio State. They played Iowa. And then again, you know, they played Illinois. They played Michigan State. You know, you're, you're, you're coming down the home stretch. You're, your mindset now is that you're ready for the tournament. You know what you've done regular season. You are just ready to get ready and get ramped up for the NCAA tournament. So maybe they took their eye off the prize a little bit with Illinois, looking past Illinois because Illinois didn't have their star guard, Mr. Asuma, with that was going to be playing. And so maybe they took their eye off the prize. But don't mistake in that loss for the fact that Michigan is not one of the top tier teams this this year in the NCAA. Along with Gonzaga, I think to me, Michigan has been one of the most consistent teams all year long. And you have to credit what Jawan Howard and his staff has done with these players. So I look forward to seeing what they do in the NCAA tournament. And we should be ready to start the tournaments this week in regards to the um, Big Ten and the ACC and you know, get these tournaments started. And because in about a week and a half, we'll be talking about March Madness and the selection of teams for March Madness, and we'll be ready to get that started. So we look forward to seeing what's going on on the college level. We're going to step away and take a small break because we've got to talk about all the drama going on in the NFL. We keep telling you that the NFL's offseason is, is just as rich as the regular season. But this year, the offseason has been at its highest of drama with the quarterbacks. You have been listening to Uptempo Sports 24-7. We're going to take a small commercial break, and we'll be right back. 
Thanks again for joining us. All right, all right. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7, the weekend edition with your host, Coach T. And man, have you ever seen this much drama in the NFL when it has come to the quarterbacks and their desires to want to move on from the organizations that they are employed by? I can't, I can't remember a time when we've had this many quarterbacks in disarray and wondering who is going to be where by the time we get past the upcoming draft. I'm not even going to say by the time we get to minicamp. I'm saying by the time we get to the draft. Because as we sit right now, we probably have one, two, three, four, maybe even five quarterbacks that could be on the move. And that's with Matthew Stafford already relocating his address to L.A. So let's start with, again, the drama that is the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. Nick Casarius, the general manager for the Houston Texans, is still saying that he is not fielding calls for the disgruntled Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, through his agent, through uh, one of his best friends, Jalen Ramsey, has basically said he has no intentions of ever putting on a Texans uniform again. He's already met with new coach David Culley, and he told him that he's not going to be playing for the Houston Texans again. So I don't understand this whole idea of feeling like, as an organization, you want to have the basically you want to have the last laugh, or you want to be the one who makes it feel like that you're still in control. Is your job as a general manager or the person that's in charge of the player personnel of your organization to feel the best players that you possibly can to give your team the most success? So if getting your team the most success is having to trade away one of your key pieces who is disgruntled and who does not want to be there, then that's what you should be focusing on doing, not not being right as my I have a phrase that I say it's not about being right it's about doing right so if you're not going to do right you can't be right that's the way I look at it because Deshaun Watson has already put his cards on the table he's not playing poker with you all he's come to the table and he's shown you his hand it's a royal flush he's telling you I am not I repeat I am not playing for this organization Ever again. So I don't understand why you as an organization are holding steadfast to wanting to prove a point because what are you going to come and say that if we let Deshaun Watson get his way, then some other player is going to do the same thing? Well, you know what? Let's 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 count on our hands the number of great players that you have on your on your um team right now. One. 
Don't even need to think about it. There's only one, and that's Deshaun Watson. J.J. Watt is gone, and he was on the twilight of his career. You traded away another potential great player in DeAndre Hopkins. So your three best players, starting with your quarterback, all are on the premise of being gone. You traded away DeAndre Hopkins for pennies on a dollar. J.J. Watt, you gave him his release, which you should have. I just don't understand why you won't do the same with Deshaun Watson. Yes, I know Deshaun Watson is 25 years old, and I know franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees. But if your franchise quarterback no longer wants to be the franchise quarterback, why not submit your organization for years to come by making a super mega trade and getting as much as you can for the talent that Deshaun Watson will bring to another team. You can get a King's ransom for him, at least uh, at minimum three first round draft picks and maybe even a few players, depending upon who you are willing to negotiate with. But at bare minimum, you're going to get three first round picks. You can start your you can start your organization over with that. You have no cap space. You have no draft picks in the first or second round. Even if you kept Deshaun Watson, he's going to be unhappy because you can't put talented players around him. You're looking at a situation where it's no win for the organization. Even if you kept him, even if there was some way that you all came and mended fences, how are you going to put enough talent around Deshaun Watson to make him happy and to make your organization going forward a player in regards to getting to the highest level in professional sports in football, which is to the Super Bowl. You're not going to be able to do it under your current status. So you might as well trade away the premier asset that you have, and that is Deshaun Watson. We'll park that there for a second. Let's go to Seattle. Russell Wilson. I'm not asking to be traded, but if you all decide to move me, these are the four teams that I would like to go to. The New Orleans Saints, the Dallas Cowboys, the Chicago Bears, and the LA Raiders. But again, let me preface it by saying I'm not asking for a trade. You are asking for a trade. It's just like when you start a sentence and say, I mean, no disrespect. If you have to start a sentence with saying, I mean, no disrespect, then you've already told me that you don't respect me. Because you should not have to start a sentence by saying, I mean, no disrespect. You shouldn't have to start a sentence by saying, I don't want to be traded. But here are four teams that if you decided to make a phone call, these are the four teams you need to start with. Because these are these are the preferenced teams and cities I want to go to. I don't understand how Pete Curl has not sat down along with General Manager John Schneider and 
they have tried to work something out with Russell Wilson and his representatives. He is the face of your franchise. That's it. He is the face of your franchise. You have nothing else. You have nothing else. I don't understand why there is a, 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 a problem here. Same way I talked about Houston, I'm not understanding why there is a problem. Why can't you sit down with your best player, your future Hall of Fame player, and say, we will do whatever it takes to make this work? You have, there's a give and take on both sides. The player has to understand what he is asking and lobbying for the organization to do. And the organization has to understand that this particular player is essential to your health. And I say health because if you don't have Russell Wilson, you're going to be sick. (laughs) And your fan base is going to be sick. Russell Wilson is the essential component to your organization staying not only stabilized, but staying in a conversation of a team and organization that can win. Unless you can go out and you can get a trade where you're going to trade Russell Wilson for Deshaun Watson, which we know that's not going to happen, then you're going to find yourself starting from scratch. And I don't understand this whole idea with Pete Carroll having all this power. He's got one Super Bowl on his resume. And if you go back and check, remember, before pre-Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll was a sub-500 coach. Remember, he had been fired twice by the Jets and by the Patriots. His biggest success story was in college at USC. He took USC to a whole nother level that we had not seen in college sports. But his career was not that way in the NFL. Russell Wilson made Pete Carroll what Pete Carroll has been in the NFL. I think that Pete Carroll needs to go back and reevaluate his success story in the NFL and understand that it is attached to Russell Wilson. Remember, they had signed Matt Flynn as a free agent, giving him $10 million. They drafted Russell Wilson as a third-round pick. That same season that they signed Matt Flynn, Russell Wilson outperformed Matt Flynn and took his job. Not only that, they made Russell Wilson a captain. So you take a guy in a third round, he exceeds your expectations. He not only exceeds your expectations, but then you make him a captain. Now, I know you had the one of the best defenses in the Legion of Boom early in Russell's career. And so you want to say that Russell maybe was more of a component of what he had around him, that he was a game manager. You can call it whatever you like, but Russell Wilson was winning. Whether that was because of the defense It's a team sport. 53 men on a roster. 22, 11 on offense and 11 on defense. They have to work as one, along with the special teams. So you all can sit here and separate stuff out because whatever your argument that you want to use, you can go ahead and separate it out for whatever you think is going to make your argument better. But at the end of the day, 
Russell Wilson was a part of why that team was successful. Regardless of how dominant the Legion of Boom may have been, Russell Wilson was still a key component along with Marshawn Lynch as to why that team was successful, why that team won a Super Bowl. They could have won two Super Bowls had Pete Carroll not gotten cute. They should have just given the ball to Marshawn Lynch in a Super Bowl with New England. Why they did not give the ball to Marshawn Lynch, I have no idea. I don't know if it was because they didn't think Marshawn Lynch would be a good representative for being the most viable player. I don't know. I don't know if they were trying to get Russell the most viable player award, and that's why they had him throw the ball. But you can debate that issue. But they should have won two Super Bowls in a row. And as much as you want to sit here and as much as Pete Carroll and that Seattle organization wants to hold fast, just like the Texans, to what they believe in, if you don't have Russell Wilson as your quarterback, as the face of your organization, you're going to be looking to draft another quarterback and you're going to fall on hard times unless you can bring in somebody that can at least give you stability. Not maybe to take you over the hump, but can give you stability I don't know if you're looking, you know, possibly you want to call the Raiders and see if they're interested in giving up a substantial amount along with Derek Carr so you can have a quarterback that's functionable. Derek Carr is not Russell Wilson. Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I like Derek Carr, but he is not Russell Wilson. He can't put you on his back and carry you like Russell Wilson has done for Seattle. So if you think that you can immerse out Russell Wilson for a Derek Carr, you're making a big mistake. So, Seattle and P. Curl and John Schneider, everybody's going to have to check their egos at the door. And, you know, it's just like, and I'll say this because we're going to talk about him right now. It's with the Cowboys. The reason why Dallas has not returned to the the glory days of the Super Bowl for almost 25 years now is because Jerry Jones wasn't willing to check his ego at the door. When I win, we all win. That's basically what Jimmy Johnson's mantra was when he was in Dallas as the head coach slash general manager. It was like, when we win, we all win. It's not just me and the players. Jerry wins too. Jerry wins on and off the field. He wins because of the success of the organization And he wins financially because their success on the field makes his organization not only more marketable, but more profitable for his pockets. But Jerry could not see that. All he could see was that he was not getting what he felt like was the credit that he thought he was due over Jimmy. And that's why Dallas has not returned to a Super Bowl. That's why they have not even been close to returning to a Super Bowl. And now they find themselves in a dilemma of whether they're going to pay Dak Prescott, in essence, more than $40 million a year. Now, Dak and his representatives have come out and said, we want to be the second highest paid player, not the second highest paid quarterback. Let me, let me say that again. Dak and his representatives are saying to us as Cowboy fans and two football fans abroad. He's not only saying that he wants to be the highest paid, the second highest paid quarterback. 
He wants to be the second highest paid player in NFL history behind Patrick Mahomes. Let's let's give you Dak's resume. Rookie of the year and two playoff wins in the first round. Let me give you Patrick Mahomes' resume. NFL MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion, two consecutive years of appearing in the Super Bowl. He's one and one in the Super Bowl. I don't hear anything on Dak Prescott's resume about Super Bowl. I don't even hear NFC Championship or NFC in being in an NFC Championship game. But you want to be the second highest paid quarterback behind Patrick Mahomes and the highest paid player in second highest paid player, I'm sorry, in the NFL. I understand this whole mantra about the next person up, especially when it comes to quarterbacks getting paid, but I've always been of the philosophy of you pay the players based on their performance, not because of their position. I mean, you have dominating defensive players in the league. Aaron Donald, to me, is one of the most dominating defensive players in the league. He could be the, he's been the defensive player of the year. He could be the overall NFL MVP, in my opinion, because of how he performs and how valuable he is to his team. But that award usually is given to a quarterback. We've not said Dak Prescott is an MVP of the league. We have not said that Dak Prescott is hosting up the Lombardi Trophy. And I'm a Cowboy fan. And I like Dak. And the Cowboys screwed up. They should have paid Dak two years ago. Where they would have been able to get him at a reasonable cost. At a cost to me where I think that he would have fit more into. But now you find yourselves over a barrel. Because either you pay Dak at a long-term rate or you franchise him at $37.7 million, I'll just say $38 million, and you handcuff yourself as an organization from being able to wheel and deal in free agency and make your team better. You only get so many draft picks and you're not going to be drafting early in the second round, early in the third round. It's not like you're at the top of those rounds to be able to get the players that you need. You get one pick in the first round. You're at number 10 this year. Do you take a corner? Do you take an offensive tackle? Who knows what they're going to do? I keep hearing some people saying they should take Kyler Pitts, the outstanding All-American tight end from Florida. And I keep scratching my head to say, we saw Dallas the first four games of last year put on an offensive performance and they were one and three. And that was with Dak. They had three of the best wide receivers on one team. I'm not saying they had the three best wide receivers, but three of the best wide receivers on one team in CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper. They even got great performance from Dalton Schultz, who came in for Blake Jarwin, and we didn't know what you were going to get. So you think you need to go and draft Kyler Pitts at number 10? Ask the Atlanta Falcons about being able to just continue to outscore somebody. Ask Kansas City about being able to completely outscore somebody and not have any defense, as we saw from the Super Bowl, where they couldn't even score and their defense couldn't stop Tampa Bay. 
as the New Orleans Saints. You have to have defense, folks. You have to be able to stop your opponent. You may be able to get away with that in the regular season. When the playoffs come, it's just like basketball. The field shrinks. The field shrinks. And the opportunities shrink. And you as a team have to find a way to stop your opponent from being able to score. And Dallas has to find a way to get a admirable contract with Dak Prescott. They can't afford to give him the franchise tag. They have until Tuesday to get a contract ratified for both parties. Otherwise, they will have to franchise him and then they're stuck because they have if they franchise him on Tuesday, which is March the 9th, they are now going to be negotiating with him up through July 15th. Or they have up into the windows to July 15th to get a long-term deal done. That will restrict them from being able to dip their toe into free agency. Now, I'm not saying that they have a lot of money to do a big, a lot of big spending in free agency, but they have some holes that need to be filled that they can get some quality players in free agency if they have a little bit of money to be able to go out and spend. They need help again in the secondary. They need help at the linebacker spot. They need help on the offensive line. They need help on the defensive line. They don't need a tight end. They don't need another wide receiver. They don't need a running back. They don't need a quarterback. They just need to sign a quarterback that they have. And, you know, and I've even thought about this. Could they sign and trade Dak to Seattle? Well, you know, you're not, if you're Seattle, you're not taking Dak Prescott straight up. You're going to want something else with that. Would you give them, I don't know, I don't think they really need Amari Cooper because they have DK Metcalf. So I don't think they need a receiver. But do you give them a, a running back? Do you throw Tony Pollard into that? Do you try to see at that particular point, can you try to see if you can give them Zeke? Are you ready to move off from Zeke? I'm not ready to move off from Zeke. I know Zeke did not have the best season last year, but I think a lot of that was depending upon the offensive line not being healthy. I think that was because Zeke, you remember, Zeke did come down with uh, COVID early on. And so I think, you know, it could have been, you know, health, con- you know, his health concerns and not being quite in shape along with, like I said, the decimated injuries in the offensive line that was why he did not play up to his caliber of the player that we know he has been I'm just not ready to say he's done as a running back I know we saw that with Todd Gurley but Todd Gurley was injured too and Todd Gurley came into the NFL with a bad knee and that lingered on we have not had that issue with Zeke the problem with Zeke was that he could not behave himself and got suspended for part of a year. But there was never any problems when he was on the field in regards to production. There was never any real problems in regards to any severe injuries. Dallas is going to have to negotiate their butts off and get a deal done with Dak Prescott. Does that mean that they shorten the years on the contract? I mean, if we've already seen what Kirk Cousins has done with the franchise tag. He has been the most how do we even phrase this the most savvy quarterback when it comes to getting paid for a quarterback who's just good 
He's not great. He doesn't have any Super Bowls, any championships on his resume, but he and his agent have found a way to maximize his full potential. And that's what he suggested to Dak. But in my opinion, Dallas, you know, I know that they want to, it's like taking out a loan. I know they want to extend the years so they can pay the loan off, have more years to pay. Basically, it's like a loan paying the loan off as opposed to having to pay that money in a shorter stint. But if you can get Dak on a three-year deal or a four-year deal, and then if you if he plays to his capabilities that you project him to be, then you're not going to mind signing him to a third contract. But you have to get this deal done. It's no way that you can go into this season and allow your quarterback to take up between 20 to 25%, 20 to 25% of your salary cap. And you feel the team that's going to be competitive because everybody around you is getting better. The Rams are getting better. Tampa Bay will probably still be in pretty good shape. Even with some of the free agents that they're going to lose, they're probably still going to be in pretty good shape. If Russell Wilson returns to Seattle, then I'm sure that they're going to have to make some moves in order for them to continue to be as competitive as they've been. So you're going to have to figure out a way for you to take care of your quarterback and get your team better. Mike McCarthy, in my opinion, is on the hot seat. To me, this is a make or break year. And I know that he didn't have a full training camp last year and you know, there's a lot of things that played a part in the demise of why the Cowboys didn't look the way that they did. Excuse me. But one thing that you can't cover up is stupidity. One thing that you can't cover up is leadership. That has nothing to do with training camp. That has nothing to do with COVID protocol. That has to do with what you as a coach bring to the table. And I didn't see anything that showed me that Mike McCarthy, by sitting out a year, made himself a better coach. If nothing else, it showed you why Aaron Rodgers was so adamant about Mike McCarthy not returning as his coach. Because you've seen how he has flourished under Coach LaFleur since Mike McCarthy has been fired. You've seen how he's flourished the last two years under Coach LaFleur in Green Bay. That is on Mike McCarthy. Because if Mike McCarthy was still having Aaron Rodgers confidence in him and his ability he would still be coaching in Green Bay but that had gone to the wayside and we see now why Aaron Rodgers wanted Mike McCarthy out he's a dinosaur he needs to show that instead of him having loyalty to a friend that he had in Mike Nolan last year who was a horrible defensive choice as a defense coordinator Hopefully, Coach Quinn will be better. Dan Quinn will be better. But it's no way that Mike McCarthy can survive if the Cowboys just get to the playoffs and just get into the first round. I don't see how he survives. So we're going to see. It's going to be an interesting offseason for the Cowboys. But they need to figure out what they're going to do about the quarterback situation. So we've talked about three quarterbacks. We talked about Dak. We talked about Russell Wilson, and we talked about Deshaun Watson. Let's talk about 
Sam Donald with the Jets. We keep hearing all these stories about the Jets. Initially, the Jets were up and down about what they were going to do with Sam Donald. Now it appears is that they have come to a resolution that they are going to field calls for Sam Donald because they have a sparkle in their eye. And that sparkle's name is. The number two pick. And drafting the quarterback from BYU. And if you are the Jets, if you are the Jets, you have to think long and hard about what you're saying that you're going to do about your quarterback situation. Because you have to remember that you're in a division that has defensive-minded coaches. Brian Flores at Miami, Sean McDermott at Buffalo, and of course the master himself in New England, Bill Belichick. So you're going to bring in Zach Wilson, who is the sparkle in the eye of the New York Jets and ship out Sam Darnold. I've seen Zach Wilson. I like Zach Wilson. I like Sam Donald when he was at USC. I thought that he should have been if in that in that draft with Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. If you were going to take a quarterback number one, I think he definitely should have went ahead of Baker Mayfield. I think if Sam Donald had the same weapons that Baker Mayfield has had in Cleveland, he would be on a different trajectory higher than Baker Mayfield. He's more athletic than Baker Mayfield. He's bigger than Baker Mayfield. He might not be as accurate as Baker Mayfield, but he's got a stronger arm than Baker Mayfield. The Jets, to me, need to build that organization up from the ground floor, regardless if it's Zach Wilson or Sam Donald. Both of those quarterbacks need players around them in order for them to be successful. You can't have a quarterback and have an average team. You can't have average skill players or no skill players and think your quarterback is going to be successful. That's the problem that I have with these NFL organizations. You want to keep saying that you're, you're, you need a franchise quarterback, but then you don't go and get your franchise quarterback, whomever it is, the pieces that they need to be successful. You don't do that. But you want them to carry your team, and when they don't meet your expectations, then you want to start trying to move off of them. Sam Donald has not done anything wrong. The Jets organization has failed Sam Donald. Sam Donald hasn't failed the Jets. The Jets have failed Sam Donald. Adam Gase should have never been hired as the head coach. He was horrible in Miami. You saw what Ryan Tannehill has done since he has left from under the instructions of Adam Gase. He's turned into a Pro Bowl quarterback with the Tennessee Titans. That alone should have told you that Adam Gase wasn't the right person to be a head coach or even a quarterback coach. But again, I digress. So we're going to have to see what the Jets do. San Francisco is still 
trying to figure out if they want to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back. We keep hearing stories about Jimmy G maybe being shopped, maybe him picking up the phone to call New England to see if they can make a trade to get Jimmy G back to the East Coast. But I don't think they're going to move Jimmy G unless they had a player to replace him. Jimmy G has been successful as a starter in that Kyle Shanahan offense when he's been healthy. The problem is, is that he has not been healthy enough. And as they always say, the best ability is availability. And that has not been the mantra for Jimmy Garoppolo. Speaking of quarterbacks, as we talk about the drama of the NFL offseason, some teams just can't let go. They just can't let go of the past. And one of those teams happens to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the winningest organizations, winners of six Lombardi trophies. They can't get past themselves. They can't, re- they can't relinquish the idea of Ben not being their quarterback. It is no way in the world that if I'm Mike Tomlin, then I'm bringing Ben Roethlisberger back after the way he collapsed in the second half of this season. He looked every bit of 38 years old, going on 39. He and Drew Brees, to me, at the end of the season, look like two quarterbacks that should be planning for their next career. They didn't look like the 43-year-old fountain of youth quarterback in Tampa Bay by the name of Tom Brady. They look like two quarterbacks that were ready for a retirement plan. That's what they look like. So in order for these teams like the Steelers to be successful in the future, they have to make big boy decisions. And it's amazing to me how these organizations can always decide to get rid of players that have helped them to get better. Now, we know Pittsburgh, which they shouldn't, bring back Juju. He's not uh, one. He is a bona fide two or three. He's definitely not a one, and they shouldn't pay him as such. They're not even going to probably bring back Bud Dupree. Remember, the outstanding pass rusher towards ACL towards the end of the year, and they franchised him last year. T.J. Watt, we know as an all-pro, is a monster. But he needs somebody on the other side. I don't think they're going to bring Bud Dupree back. They're not bringing back Connor Williams. So, I'm sorry, Mr. Connors, they're running back. But you're going to bring back Ben who is a shell of the quarterback that, you, that you've had who has been successful in your organization, who's a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback. I know they have Dwayne Haskins on their roster. We don't know what he is going to be able to do. He may be in a situation where maybe he needs to sit a year behind a veteran, but is that veteran Ben? To me, Pittsburgh missed a golden opportunity to go after somebody like a Jameis Winston last year in free agency. They could have gotten Jameis for pennies on a dollar 
even if they want him to sit behind Ben last year, he would have been able to take over <clears throat> the reins from Ben this year. They're a, a lot alike from the standpoint that they are both big quarterbacks with big arms that take big risk. And so, as we saw with Sean Payton in New Orleans, they did a nice job in not only getting Jameis in shape, but also it looks like that he became more, even though he didn't play a lot of games, he looked a lot more defiant in making sure that he, in the, in the, in the spots that we saw him play, that he did not turn the ball over. And I know that was a short, or I should say a small sample size, but he he looked like a different quarterback than he did at Tampa. He looked like that he was he had the ear of Sean Payton and Drew Brees. You could see him always standing near Drew Brees, like a sponge absorbing the information. I just really believe, folks, that Pittsburgh did themselves a disservice. They're over the salary cap. They don't have money. They have a bunch of players that need to be paid. And one of their key players that they're going to have to pay at the end of next season is Micah Fitzpatrick. You can't let him walk. You gave up a number one, you gave up a first round pick for him, and he is a first round talent. He is the component along with TJ Watt that keeps your defense going. So you've got to, you've got to sign him. I just think that bringing Ben back was a bad move. It's not like that Ben gets you over the hump. They're, you're not going to be contending for a championship. So to me, bringing Ben back only slows down the process of what you're going to have to do in another year, which is groom a new quarterback. Now, you know, hopefully Dwayne Haskins has matured and he will mature under the guidance of the Pittsburgh organization. But the jury's out on that. We don't know what's going to happen with him, so we'll have to see. But I just think that they're going to be slightly above. They may be 8-8 eight and eight, at the very best, maybe 9-7. and seven. Baltimore is the cream of the crop in the AFC North. And we saw what Cleveland did this past season. And I, I don't think Cincinnati will be competing for any kind of playoff spot for another two or three years. They're going to have to have another couple of drafts in order for them to get to that point. But other than that, I don't I don't see what Pittsburgh is bringing to the table. I really don't. I don't see what Pittsburgh is bringing to the table. And so with that being said, I just think this is a swan song for them bringing back Ben, which makes no sense. But we'll see. Maybe, you know, they know something that we don't as fans and people who watch football. I'm just not convinced that them bringing Ben back was the best thing that Mike Tomlin and that organization could have done. And then let's talk about, let's get away from the quarterbacks right now, and let's talk about where J.J. Watt is. And J.J. Watt is now going to take his talents to Arizona. And so can they win a championship? In Arizona? I don't know. 
But I do like what he came out and said in regards to his belief that Kyler Murray is a top flight up and coming quarterback. What I thought J.J. Watt was going to do was I thought he was going to look for an organization that could potentially get him maybe to a Super Bowl. I'm all for if they if they want to pay you that pay you big money, hey man, go get that check. But at this particular point, with the career that J.J. Watt has had, you would have thought that he would have been more interested in going with a team that he thought was slightly better or had better chances of getting to a Super Bowl. Buffalo would have been an outstanding opportunity. I don't know if his agent reached out to Kansas City, but that would have been a place that needed someone of his experience and his leadership, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Green Bay which we all speculated that we thought that that may be a landing spot. I never thought Pittsburgh would have been a good fit. It would have been a nice story that the three Watt brothers would have been able to play together. But in regards to them being able to to do anything specifically championship-wise, that was not going to happen. That was just going to be for nostalgia purposes. So I'm glad he didn't sign with Pittsburgh, but the Arizona signing was a bit head scratching we know they have Chandler Jones who's an outstanding defensive player and between the two of them they have led the NFL in sacks over the last 10 years if I'm not mistaken we don't know if they're going to bring Patrick Peterson back the potential future Hall of Famer we thought maybe he may hit the free agent market but then now we're hearing speculation that there's a possibility that they may bring him back we'll just have to see but again you know, if this is the move that he made for himself and his family, which is his wife, then, hey, I salute him. And I'm not mad at him for taking the money. But as I've always said about players, and I will continue to say about players, just be honest with yourself. At the end of the day, yeah, you may say you want a championship. You may say that you want to compete for a championship. But if the money is the right amount of money, as I've always said, Cash rules everything around me. Dollar, dollar bill. You're going to go get that cash. As Randy Moss once said, straight cash, homie. You're going to go get that cash. You're going to go get that check. Regardless of what you you may say with your lips, if they write you a significant amount in a check, most athletes are going to go get that check. The only athlete that I've seen and that I know will take less money because he wants to keep getting ring after ring after ring is that quarterback that resides in Tampa, Florida by the name of TB12 or Tom Brady. That's the one athlete that I know that when he says he'll take a payment discount, he'll he'll take a discount, he's taking a discount because he's trying to elevate himself for a championship. Everybody else and I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that J.J. Watt was wrong in what he did. Because at the end of the day, how much, as they always say, how much money can you spend? But if somebody's willing to give you this amount of money, why would you turn it down? Why, why would you turn it down? So if you can, you know, it's good when you can have your cake and eat it too. I don't know. How, I mean, Arizona's in a tough division in the NFC West. So we don't know if they will, you know be in a position to make the playoffs, even to make a playoff run, a serious playoff run. 
But we do know this, that J.J. Watt is still a really good player. He may not be the most dominating player that he was a few years ago due to, you know, injuries. But he is still good enough, along with somebody like a Chandler Jones, that they can still wreck shop defensively. And their pass rush wasn't bad last year. And adding J.J. Watt and scheming things up could potentially make it maybe one of the better defenses. So we'll see what happens with that move. Um, But like I said, the NFL is your place to stop by for offseason drama because they keep us well-defined in regards to what we have to look forward to. Now, again, there are a lot of people getting released because of cap cap hazards. You know, we're not sure if the if if the cap is going to go up any more than the projected 180 million or 182 million that they've been talking about. We don't know if it's going to go up. We know that they just signed a big time contract with Disney. So we don't know if they'll be able to start flexing some of that money now. But we do know that they have done um, done that. So we'll have to see how that works out. But hey, man, <laughs> crazy things have been happening and they will continue to happen as we get closer to the start of the uh, NFL season, which is March 17th. But again, the date that you want to be looking for is next Tuesday, March the 9th, which is tag You're it when you can start tagging people. Um we're going to, you know, this weekend, and if you didn't know, let me tell you right now that we have the uh, NBA All-Star Game in Atlanta. Um, we're going to talk about that on our next episode, tell you, you know, what our expectations are of that game and the players that are, you know, the teams, how they were selected. But before we close out this particular episode of Uptempo Sports, and thank you again for joining us. We just got through February and talked about Black History Month. And as I always say, we we focus in on Black History Month and we I've always thought to myself, I've not said this out loud, but I've always thought to myself, Black History Month. So we get one month out of the year to talk about the things that black people have contributed to America. It should be Black History Month every day because we are a part of the history of America. And without the contributions of black people, there is no United States of America. And as much as as much as people have tried to parlay the talents, parlay the things of substance that black people have made to this country. It's amazing to me how we only get one month when again, we should be talked about all the time and not in a negative tone. And speaking of us just leaving Black History Month, this month, March, represents the month for women, the recognition of women. And I'm going to talk about 
black women. And so I want to talk about Maya Chaka, the first black female referee will be on display with her talents beginning this fall in the NFL. And just it's it's an amazing byproduct of what the NFL has done in regards to, to in regards to its initiative for women in sports. And so for her to be the first black female referee, I think it's outstanding. And as much as we want to uplift the NFL for its awareness of what women can contribute to the game, it also, in a sense, shows a sign of hypocrisy because we can, and no offense to Maya, because I think this is an outstanding hire if she is qualified. I think it's outstanding. We need this. But it's amazing how they are promoting more and more women into the NFL from the coaching standpoint and trying to get women into executive positions. But then you still lack the minorities in the coaching field. You have employment of about 70 percent of blacks in the NFL but you still won't do your due diligence to get the proper amount of blacks into the coaching field or into the executive field. So I am aware and I am proud of the fact that they are promoting women, black and white, but especially in this situation with with Maya, but I'm also aware of the fact that they still struggle with the idea of having a black man as the face of their organization on the sidelines or in their executive offices. That bothers me. And I just wanted to point that out. But congratulations to Maya. I'm sure that she will be a success story on the field as well as off. And it will be based on you know, you'll say this hire is they hired a black woman, but I'm sure that she will make you forget about the fact that she's black and that, that she's just a qualified person to do the job. That's what I want people to be talking about. I don't want them to be talking about, OK, they hired, you know, uh, Ms. Shaka to be to be the first black woman. And and that's where we stand with it. No, I want it to be based on her laurels that she was hired because she was the best person for the job, not because of the color of her skin. That's what I want to see, because that's when we see progression. That's when we see resolutions, when we get positions and we are outstanding in them and they lay the groundwork for others to come behind. So now she will be a trailblazer for the next female of color to be able to get into the NFL. So congratulations. As I was stating about Black History Month, this month in March, we're celebrating women. And I just wanted to mention the accomplishments of two women, Kathy Hughes and, of course, Oprah Winfrey. What better standard could you have than these two outstanding black women and what they've meant not only to the black community, but to their, their industries, 
Kathy Hughes, one of the most prominent owners of radio stations along the East Coast, giving voice to black people with Radio One, TV One, in regards to, you know, we had BET. And now we have what the accomplishments that she's had in the media and radio business. And then, of course, what can you say about Oprah Winfrey that has not already been said? So, you know, as much as we want to exalt our men during Black History Month, I'm glad we have an opportunity to also exalt our women in this month. So I just wanted to tip my hat and say thank you to Miss Oprah Winfrey and thank you to Kathy Hughes for your accomplishments, for your trails that you have blazed, not only for women, but for blacks and for the world. And with that, we say thank you for tuning in to Uptempo Sports. We appreciate you tuning in. Remember, you can get us on your social media platforms like Google, Apple, Spotify. Everyone have a great evening. Enjoy your weekend. And until the next. Peace.